Welcome to Shoe Smith's Sustainability Podcast. I am your host, John Palmer. In this episode, we are talking about hydrogen and its role in the energy transition. Today, approximately 50 to 60 million tonnes of hydrogen is produced globally each year, and as an industry, it's worth $100 billion per annum. Most of this hydrogen is used in feedstock, in industrial chemical processes, and is grey hydrogen made by fossil fuels, by processes like methane reformation, which emit CO2 and contribute to climate change. However, if hydrogen is made without such emissions, it can play a key role in the journey to net zero. One such means of production is by electrolyzing water with electricity that itself has been produced without emitting CO2. For example, renewable electricity generated from wind or solar. This hydrogen is known as green hydrogen and is inherently sustainable. Green hydrogen is not an energy source, the energy is from the wind or sun, rather it is an energy vector that makes renewable energy available for use at a distance or time from its source. In short, it moves renewable power around and keeps it for when it is needed. The question we come to with green hydrogen is what role it can play in the energy transition as we move towards meeting the 2030 and 2050 emission targets. To discuss the role of green hydrogen, I am delighted to be joined by David Surplus OBE, who is a director of B9 Energy Storage Limited and involved in a number of innovative hydrogen projects. Uh, welcome, David. Today, we're very keen to hear about some of the projects that you are involved with. Well, thank you very much uh, for inviting me, John. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, and I know we've done a lot of work together on the Hydrogen NI, the new group in Northern Ireland that's specifically there to try and further all of the hydrogen agenda. Uh, B9 Energy is a project development company which has been going for 30 years. Uh, we pioneered the wind energy uh, developments in Northern Ireland and moved on to anaerobic digestion and landfill gas. One of the projects we did was a 600 megawatt offshore wind farm proposal. And in 2013, we got a response back from the electrical system operator in Northern Ireland here to say that uh, whenever we would try to connect this very large generator, um, we would be turned off a lot of the time, somewhere between 20 and 30% of the hours in the year. The wind farm would have to be switched off because there's not enough load. And that actually killed the project. The project couldn't be built because of this thing called curtailment. And it's a phenomenon which is uh, alive and well in Northern Ireland and the Republic, but not so far in GB really. And the solution as we could see was to devise projects that provided controllable electrical load so that you could switch on the load rather than switching off the turbines. So nine years ago, we formed this company to try and find out what the best technology would be. And we've been all the way through the energy storage technologies, uh, great length, and uh, finally come up with electrolysis using electrolyzer machines as single best one. So we've got a range of projects that are trying then to, okay, you can make the hydrogen and keep the wind turbines running, that's great, but what do you do with the hydrogen? Uh, and it's green hydrogen, of course. You know, there are several offtake industry sectors that we can focus on. Uh, mobility is the only one that's really supported commercially at the moment through the Renewable Transport Fuel Obligation Scheme. 
but recent developments uh, in Bayes in London have brought forward the Net Zero Hydrogen Fund, which will provide some capital assistance for these electrolyzer power to X projects and the hydrogen business model, which is a revenue support scheme. So that's actually meaning that other sectors such as heating, power generation, will all be supported in comparison to fossil fuel prices. Uh, and in, in anticipation of that, because we had quite a lot of activity in the consultation stage, uh, we made a submission to Bayes in London under their longer duration energy storage scheme for a project at the Ballylumford site in Northern Ireland, which is one of the two big power stations. And it's the single location where the gas pipe comes across from Scotland. There's electrical interconnection with Scotland. And it did seem like the best place to try and establish an end-to-end a demonstration of producing the hydrogen, distributing it in pipeline, uh, storing it, and then using it in gas turbine generators. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what the project has uh, sort of entailed. We, we get the funding a year ago for just under a million pounds, and we're working our way through a 12-month feed study now to design the system. And the, the, the importance of the curtailment data obviously it is a two-edge where it, it helps the wind farms as well become more financially viable. Uh, and I guess also there's issues around the, the grid constraint as well uh, and grid capacity. So hydrogen does have a, a role to play in, in helping wind farms become uh, financially viable, but also the role hydrogen plays in, in decarbonizing because it is a decarbonizing mechanism. Uh, what do you think is the most likely offtake in terms of hydrogen? Is it going to be transport? Is there, uh, certainly in terms of volatility of gas prices, is, is gas storage a, a, a big opportunity for hydrogen in, in terms of, you know, a three-month supply to take us through winter to uh, shield from volatile markets? Is, is that something that you're looking at? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the only real market available for us at the moment is the RTFO-supported mm -hmm. transport scheme. And that's great. You know, the, the price point is about right then for commercial projects to go forward. The only problem is that it's very small at the moment. There's only three or so buses hydrogen-powered in mm -hmm. Northern Ireland at the moment and the rate at which it's growing is so slow that we would put in only a, a small amount of capacity and we wouldn't do much balancing of wind farms with that but now with the new support coming for industrial use of hydrogen then we can really ramp up and provide much bigger projects and the so-called volume risk yeah. begins to be managed more correctly where we're not in the situation of producing a hydrogen where we'd know where for it mm -hmm. to go and when you look at the capacity of the electrical network such as it is today it's only just fit for purpose today. I mean, and some would argue that it wasn't fit for today's purpose. So if you try and say to that network, right, handle all the electric vehicle charging, all the heat pumps, all the other things that people want to instinctively electrolyze, then the, the grid just simply can't 
take it. It would all be totally mm -hmm. constrained. And that's where we're looking towards our other main infrastructure network, which is the gas network. In capacity terms, it's two or three times larger than the electrical network would be. So it's got the capacity that the electrical network misses. The only question is, what green gases are you going to put into it? And at the moment, the two candidates are uh, biomethane from anaerobic digestion and green hydrogen. Now, when you look at the and the price points for that will be made acceptable to investors by the fact that um, uh, the contract for difference scheme will make up that, that, that difference. But when you look at the usage pattern of hydrogen for industry and heating, that is very seasonal. You know, we use four or five times more every day in the winter than we do on a typical summer's day, which means that you need to have enormous storage capacity to make that work. And again, at the Ballylumford project, there's a pre-existing project to solution mine salt caverns for storage of natural gas. And, you know, the project's divided up into seven discrete caverns, each one the size of sort of Wembley Stadium, in mm -hmm. total 500 million cubic meters of storage volume with an operating pressure range of between 100 bar and 270 bar. So it's, it's a nationally and internationally significant storage resource. And what that would allow us to do is have continuity of supply throughout the year with actually a price point could be established, a benchmark price for hydrogen could be established, rather like Brent crude or Henry Hub for natural gas, and that we could keep stability in the price of the hydrogen, which is what most industry people need to see. Mm -hmm. That allows us as well to offer the power generators, the gas turbine power stations, an alternative source of fuel. And at the moment, they're running on 100% natural gas, but most of the pre-existing industrial gas turbines which are used on CCGT stations are tolerant of between 40 and 60% hydrogen without any modification. And they can go a bit higher if they're fitted with cooling systems for distillate fuels and things. So there's a fair bit you can do from the get-go. Uh, and then as uh, you come towards 2050, it may be that their end of life anyway be replaced with new technology, which these days is hydrogen ready. I mean, um, solar and Rolls-Royce and Siemens all provide gas turbines which were run out of the box on 100% hydrogen. So our testing would be to try and establish that blend and then also another technology called oxygen enhanced combustion. Because when the wind farms come onto full power, the system operator will turn down the uh, CCGT gas turbines to make room for the wind and a part loaded gas turbine becomes quite inefficient. But by adding oxygen into the air inlets at those times, you can recover some of the inefficiency. So we might be dispatched on, not necessarily just to balance the wind farms, but also to improve the carbon intensity of the average electricity mix mm -hmm. in Northern Ireland. And that means that we're asked to be online for longer, which means the duty factor of the machine goes up so that we can 
return our investment easier. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very interesting, David. Thank you for explaining that. Um, I guess one of the big questions for hydrogen really is it can be used for so much and looking at the best uses of it. In, in terms of, of transport, which we touched on previously, do, do you envisage it as, as being uh, more for heavy duty vehicles as opposed to cars and, and light transport? Is, is that where hydrogen sits in terms of mobility? Yes, absolutely. Uh, cars uh, do very well with electric batteries um, and they're normally used for one or two hours a day, which means 22 hours a day they're doing nothing. And, you know, a fuel cell is quite an expensive thing for a vehicle and you need to be using it a lot. So light vans, which are working for utilities around the clock, meter reading, all of that, fair enough. And taxis as well is another good application. But for all other cars, I would say it'd be batteries. Um, But when you come to heavy goods vehicles, now some people like Tesla would (laughs) push back, Mm -hmm. but uh, the the conventional sort of wisdom at the moment is that hydrogen then picks up on the heavy goods vehicles and the buses when the buses are traveling a long distance. And the recent amendments to the renewable transport fuel obligation are bringing in support for off-road vehicles, uh, and that includes marine sector and aviation sector. So, and in fact, when you look at the fuel consumed in cross-channel ferries between Northern Ireland and Scotland and England, it's enormous. And uh, that's one of the big markets that we're particularly looking at, still within the transport sector and supported well, but, uh, you know, into the maritime mm-hmm. space. In terms of the volume of hydrogen that, that would be needed and how it's to be produced, is it a matter of simply overbuilding renewables and storing the the hydrogen so it can be used for this myriad of, of uses or, or how do we deal with that? You quickly come to the constraint of the cables not being able to move the power around and that's why the centralised model at Ballylumford is likely to win out in the end. We have enormous gigawatt scale electrolyzers directly connected to offshore wind farms. You know, we need all that wind, probably three or four thousand megawatts of wind to decarbonize all of Northern Ireland's economy. Mm-hmm. And that just simply couldn't be delivered to the end users scattered all around the province yeah. mm-hmm. because of the constraint of the network. So we need to, A, as I said before, use the gas networks, but it's something which you can get a sort of vision of at the moment, but it's still a bit hazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we move forward, it's bound to change a little bit, but you know we're just making best endeavors at the moment. Sure. And the final uh, discussion point in, in terms of uh, the molecule versus electron debate, do, do you think there is a competition between electrification and hydrogen, or is it a matter of, of each finding what they, what they do best? Uh, and I think because we live in a capitalist society, uh, that it'll be left to the market to decide mm-hmm. ultimately. So we will be out there competing for the same piece of space yeah. until one wins over the other in each case. And I've been through all of this on the wind energy where you had one blade, two blades, three blades or upwind or downwind of the tower. It was a tubular tower or a lattice structure. And they all fought with each other. In the end, the techno-economic model is won by only a three-bladed upwind rotor. That's Mm it. Uh, And the same will happen in all of this debate. And I think there's some things which are pretty clear at the moment. Our future has to have gas-fired 
power stations yeah. and they mm-hmm. have to be run by hydrogen. I mean, that's clear. Mm-hmm. And it may even be the most certain route to scaling up and that off the back of that comes all the other uses including the use of gas for heating in businesses and and domestic sector Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we know from testing already done in england a a 20 percent volumetric blend of hydrogen in natural gas is safe it's been signed off by the hse and they've uh, you know, shown that the appliances that people have bought over these mm-hmm. last lot of years are compatible with that. So we've got this piece of target towards that 20% blend. That'll keep us going for quite a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we're stretching up to 100% blends. And uh, if it works out, then there is a future for the gas mm-hmm. industry, for yeah. distributing mm-hmm. gas. And mm-hmm. if if it doesn't work out, then you know that that industry will then be in mm-hmm. trouble. And in terms of the energy security issues, obviously Downing Street have quite recently issued their energy security strategy. Uh, it, has there been a greater focus on uh, storage capabilities of hydrogen and, and delivering uh, that indigenous supply of of gas to replace natural gas imports? Yes, uh, and it was uh, sort of almost surprising because we've been focused so much on curtailment as a main objective. We hadn't given that much attention to security of supply. And then in the summer of 2021, we had a full month, which was only 8% of the renewable generation that you might expect. And actually, the data for the month before that and the month after that were also below average. And uh, Richard Rogers, who's in charge of energy at the Department for Economy here in Northern Ireland, commented in one of our meetings that if that uh, weather pattern had happened in 2051, when there was no fossil fuel available and we hadn't brought forward any of yeah. these alternatives, the lights would have gone out. And that's you know sacrosanct for government to keep the lights on. So, uh, and he introduced literally in that sentence, uh, a key driver for the adoption of green hydrogen into the energy system. Okay, uh, David, thanks very much. Thank you very much.